This is exactly right. to show three. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. I feel a little insane. Oh, I'm absolutely over the edge. For sure. We've done five nights in a row. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, it's been a crazy week. My dress smells so bad. Oh, I can't even. If, if smells were colors, I would look like Pigpen right now, for sure. <laughs> There would just be a cloud. It's one of those aura photos. Yes. I'm like, oh, I'm so mysterious. And I just smell. I stink. I stink. I stink. My undergarments are begging for mercy. Here's the thing. <laughs> if you want to start like a side business, figure out a way mm-hmm. to make Spanx deodorized in some way. <laughs> because, you know, us ladies on the road... And we know there's a lot of us out there. You can't just wash your shit all the time. No. And I personally think washing something in a hotel sink is grosser than just wearing it five days in a row. Hard to tell. Hard you to know? tell, but... I did... You know what? I didn't tell you this, but we got... We had, when we were in New York, we got hotel rooms that had, like, separate bathtubs, which is, like, my... The only way I'll take a bathtub if there's not a shower, just rinsing pe- other people's bodies into it. Ugh. Which now I've learned the bathtub is the same fucking thing because when I got out of the first night, we would get yeah, to... I didn't think about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You don't need to explain. Okay, right. I came out okay. with, some, with someone else's body glitter all over my fucking body. <laughs> what? Swear. Swear. Someone went to a fucking rave or something the or night like before. Or like Rebecca Romaine after yeah. she played that one part in that one movie. Exactly. And just sparkle, blue sparkles. Came out and I was like, I didn't put anything sparkly in the bathtub. Uh- that's hilarious. Never again. What if someone got a hotel room just so they could fill a bathtub with sparkles and then get, get into it? Then I want to be their best friend. Right. My family won't let me be myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go into New York City and have an anonymous bathtub experience. Yeah. That's really funny that up until that point, you thought that the bathtubs were very sterile. I know. Sterile environments. No, I know. I feel foolish. What are you going to do? Look. Listen. This is how we learn and grow. Yeah? That's right. Slogan number one. Keep your eye peeled for all the other ones. If we're doling out advice to traveling women, may I say... And we are. And we always are. That's the point of this show. I would suggest having a hardcore homework podcast so that you don't have time to get into drugs and alcohol while you're on the road because you're sitting in your hotel room working on a story that you've changed five times in an hour. Poor Stephen. Stephen, can you get me pictures of... Oh, no. Stephen! He's not here. He's not here simply because he can't leave his... He can't deal... You can't work with us on the road. We're insane. <laughs> Literally every five minutes. Never mind, I can't do that murder. It's fucking horrible. Can I do this one instead? Because I have to check with him to make sure the other one's not doing it. 
wait for the okay, you get the okay, and then you change your mind immediately. Yeah. Just keep asking and asking. Yeah. Poor, poor Steven. He yeah. likes cats, and he likes George's cats, and that's about <laughs> it. You know how sometimes we're like, I really love looking at crime scene photos, and Karen doesn't, and some people do, and some people don't. Well, he just has to yeah. look at photos for us to pull for the f- live shows. It's very sad. It's I, so sad. Just like him. you just realized bathtubs are dirty, I just realized how sad life is for Steven because of us. <laughs> it's too bad we don't pay him anything. <laughs> it's all volunteer. He's like our intern. <laughs> That's not true. Just like how Vince was like, people always say to me, like, it's so nice that you help them out on the road. And he's like, I get paid. Yeah, motherfuckers, we yeah. pay him. I'm not like, husband, do this thing for us, please. We're like, can we hire you? Because we're going to ask a lot of you. Exactly. And we don't want to feel bad about it. We'll pay you more than average so that you do way more than expected. <laughs> but we're having a great time. This is not complaining. No. God, it seems like it's important to say. I wonder if I should tell my story from last night. Oh, wait, first, let's take a look at some outfits because we didn't do this last night and it was absolutely heartbreaking when we realized it afterwards. I think the only important thing, I have a dress on, there's cheap shoes, everyone knows this by now. But, Karen, (laughs) let's talk about your dress. Well, okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. No, don't. You don't have to. Thank you so much. I ordered this um, randomly off of Land's End, which is a catalog that actually cuts clothes for people who wear clothes, like a human, <laughs> human people, human people who wear clothes. Not like hanger bodies? Not hanger bodies, not teens. Um, <laughs> just a lady, maybe a lady who's got her own farm in upstate New York, something, <laughs> I don't know. A person that just wants to be in <laughs> but. So I ordered this dress because I was like, that's a pretty pattern, that's fun. And then it came, I tried it on, miraculously it fit. I was just like, God damn you, Land's End, thank you. It's fucking established in 1864 or whatever. <laughs> and then, as I'm trying it on, I'm like, what do we have here? Oh, yeah. surprise from Land's End. They were all sewn. They were sewn. You know, sometimes they do that for, I don't know why, so no one gets in there before you do. <laughs> it's like all sewn up, but I was like, and I was like, oh my God. Oh, so, look at how deep those pockets they are. They go so deep. Oof. That's my, those are her cough drops. My cough drops. Uh, I, it's like they knew that Marge, who owns a farm upstate, is not going to go to what you know wherever she's going to wear this dress to, and not need pockets. Yes, we all need fucking we pockets. All need pockets. I don't. And have you pockets. know, someone sent us this, but I love this idea that they stopped putting pockets in women's clothes because they didn't want them to carry concealed weapons. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. It might be a rumor, ladies. But I love it. <laughs> Get Let's me get a back to our roots, you guys. <laughs> Carrying concealed weapons. Oh, yeah, tell your story from last night. Okay, so let's see. Last night, at the end of last night, last night we did two shows here, which were both amazing. You guys are uh, amazing crowds here in Boston. Yeah. So good. We've seen you riot over sports, so we were kind of nervous. Yeah. 
that people are going to get mouthy. <laughs> but everyone's been amazing, and so just it, they've really been great, great shows. Yeah. But of course, after um, the second meet and greet, uh, and you know, we left her, you know, after midnight or whatever. We get home. Wait, first we go through the drive-through at oh, Kelly's. At Kelly's. <laughs> you guys. Jesus, why don't we have that? I mean, California. I got a fucking yes. We did it. <laughs> you don't want to talk about your order? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it was really good, but I was telling these guys I had roast beef bad dreams afterwards. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just eat a big handful of roast beef at like 1 a.m. and then yeah. be like, everything's fine. Good night. <laughs> it's like bad thing. Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you were in it. We were escaping. We were escaping Aww, things. Well, I was there with you. It was very, very roast beef. real and scary. Yeah, we were escaping roast beef. There was a roast beef, roast beef tidal wave, <laughs> like the molasses flood, but roast beef. Um, yeah. Um, so we're like, right. We finally get to the hotel. We split up our food, uh-huh. and we're walking through, and we all say goodnight. These guys get off on a floor under mine. I get off on a floor, and then I'm walking down the hall, and I hear the pitter-patter of little feet behind me. And I'm like, if this is someone that was at the show. <laughs> so I just start running up the hall. <laughs> so I, was, I was so fucking close. I was like 15 feet away from bed and roast beef mm. and like feet up, and mm. I hear them running too. Oh, no. <laughs> Chasing you. <laughs> so I stop and turn around and they all stop. It's like four girls. They go like this. Like from the show. I, I, I assume they could have been staying there and just having some fun. I don't know what was going on. But I just went, good night. And then I went into my room. <sighs> Maybe I'll meet you at a later date. But fuck <laughs> no am I going to talk to you right now. Oh, my God. You have french fries getting cold. I, my eyes were bright red. I couldn't feel my feet anymore. I was just, it was, I was so tired. I have the light flu. <laughs> no, it's fine. That, maybe I shouldn't have told that story. It seems very, uh, it seems very Mariah Carey 99. I didn't, that's not how I meant it. But this um, isn't. This is my favorite murder yeah, the podcast. Yeah, this is the podcast, my favorite murder. That's Georgia Hardstark. Yes. <laughs> We're very, very happy to be here with yeah, you. Very happy to so be here. So happy. And especially that, um, not like how Brooklyn was serving canned wine at the live show. That got loud. Because did you guys know that in a can of wine, here's a fucking insider tip that says it on the fucking can. Uh, it's two and a half glasses of wine. It's not a can of wine and like a can of beer. <laughs> they didn't tell anyone that. Yeah. It got drunk, the part of the show. And Vince has a theory that, that when they make the, a drink this special where it's like the My Favorite Murder can of wine or where people are like, well, I have to have one. I mean, I, like everyone's just going like, I wouldn't normally, but give me four cans of wine, please. <laughs> I'm going to go off tonight. It's happening. Yeah. Should we sit down? Well, let's do it. You guys, how cute is this tiny (laughs) table? How cute is this table? It's the tiniest table. It's just the littlest table. It's a tiny table. This table is a set piece from the new PBS series, The Miniaturist. (laughs) 
You may have seen it when you guys came here, probably for the Price is Right live that was here <laughs> in this theater. We still have to get information about it. I we haven't find out, found out about any of the. Was Plinko there? I don't know. Did people win actual money? Was, did somebody drive a car onto the stage? That can't happen. Oh, that would have been the best. Yeah. The huge wheel. Did they have a miniature size of the right. huge wheel? Hence the, the maybe the table. Was it this? We pull this off and it's, it's got all the numbers. One dollar. <laughs> Um, who goes first? Oh, tell them what this is. This is a true crime. Oh, this I'll is tell. a true. This is a true. <laughs> say my line. This Do you want to? Um, this is a. This is a true crime comedy podcast. Uh-huh. We like to warn people because uh, we also should define. Sometimes there are people that come to these shows with people who really like the podcast. They've never heard of the podcast uh-huh. before. We like to call those people drag alongs. Uh-huh. They don't know what's going on. They're just trying to be supportive mm-hmm. of their friend or mate. They got offered free dinner, and they're like, fine. Fine, I'll come. do with this thing with you that you keep talking about that I don't understand. Right. Fine, I'll sit next to you while you cry and do weird shit. <laughs> we thank you for doing that. We thank you mm-hmm. for being here. Supportive. Um, but we do want to warn you that this is a true crime comedy podcast. So we're talking about murder. We're talking about death. We're talking about the darkest, worst shit uh, that society has to offer. But we also uh, are do it in a comedic way. So we make jokes and uh, make each other laugh while we do it. And sometimes that can be kind of a difficult combination for people who don't understand or might not want to give us the benefit of the doubt. So <laughs> for those people who are uh, offended by that combination, you should probably get the fuck out right now. That's our... In, and we say that with so much love and thoughts and prayers. Yes. Thoughts, so many thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Which heals everything. <laughs> did you... There was a woman last night who, who didn't get the fuck out. She stayed, even though that her friends who dragged her along told her that this was a murder mystery show. <laughs> it's just like murder mystery theater. Just come. That <laughs> I just so much for... We walk out, they're like, so those are the costumes for murder? What era is this set in? I don't understand. Yeah. Am I going to get tapped on the shoulder and then I have to guess? And then I fall over dead and yeah. someone has to... Whose murder are we solving? And what is a podcast? <laughs> exactly. You're saying it's on my phone? Yeah. It's already there? I don't know. I, I don't like to tap buttons too much. <laughs> it's icky. So what we're saying is welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Sure. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash 
slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code space 80. Goodbye. I'm going first. It is you. Yes. All right. So like I said, let's see what you landed on. Yeah. (laughs) I landed on a a great one, meaning a horrible one, but wow, I had never heard of it, but I, it got to it through a lot of horror beforehand of, I can't talk about that in front of all these people. One of those. Sure. You guys have a lot of those here. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Really no shortage of horrible things mm. happening in the state of Massachusetts. <laughs> like like the spelling of your state. <laughs> Seriously. Dude. How many T's and C's do you people want? You guys want, want all the S's? Jesus. Jesus Christ. You can have them. Um, but this one is one of those ones that I hate and love because it's such a time and place. It takes place in the late 70s when everything was great. Go outside, go play till it's dark. You know, don't lock your doors, everything's fine. (laughs) And then this thing happens and it changes everything forever. Uh, This is the murder of Mary Lou Arruda. Yeah, totally. This is the one I landed on because fuck. All right. Okay. So there's this town uh, called Rainham, Rainham. I wrote it as Rainham. Is it Rainham? Okay, Rainham. <laughs> Listen to how it's spelled. Ready for this? Yes. R-A-Y-N-H-A-M. That sounds like Rainham. a yoga teacher's name. <laughs> that Y doesn't need to be in there. She's vegan. <laughs> you know it. So Rainham, Rainham, is a town in Bristol. Are you right? Are you just going to pronounce it both ways the whole time? I forgot. (laughs) Well, you see it phonetically, you just say it, even though it's wrong sometimes. Sure. And that's how you get a podcast. Worcester. (laughs) Worcester. Yeah. 
Oh, we've learned all your lessons. <laughs> now we're just scary. Yeah. So it's in a town. It's a town in Bristol County, Massachusetts, located just 32 miles south of Boston and 22 miles northeast of Providence, Rhode Island, okay. where everyone keeps telling us to go. Back in the late. What happened? You looked like you were going to tell them at, when we were going to go. Oh. And they were just like, and no. <laughs> Back in the late 70s, Raynham was a small, safe bedroom community with a population of about 8,000 people. Oh. That's not a lot of people. But then, um, uh, then an event occurred which changed life forever there, as it always fucking does. And uh, one resident said it was like someone ripped the canvas of the Norman Rockwell painting, which I think is like such a symbolic thing. Okay. All right. September 8th, 1978, about 4 p.m., 15-year-old Mary Lou Aruda, she's a high school sophomore, wee baby angel. She was on the cheerleading squad, normal girl. She gets on her bike. It's an orange 10-speed. And she heads down the one-mile ride from a friend's house toward her home along Dean Road. At the time, it was like a dirt road surrounded by beautiful forests. I'm sure it's turning into fall. You know, lovely, idyllic place. About half an hour later, uh, a boy finds her bike on that road and takes it home to her family's house. Like, it's such a small town that it's like, this is Mary Lou's bike, I'll take it there. And of course her family's like, this isn't fucking right, and immediately call the police to report her missing. Um, thankfully, Rain and Police Department aren't like police departments that we talk about all the fucking time that were like, I bet she just ran away. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank God they weren't fucking like that. And this is actually a really interesting story because it really is a great example of how police should be. Um, they, so police officer David Bonaparte, he immediately sounds the alarms when he, when he hears what's going on. Um, most police departments at the time require at least 24 hours before declaring a person missing, but Bonaparte was a rookie officer who hadn't even yet been to the police academy, and so he went against conventional wisdom immediately. <laughs> he just, he was just like, you know what, I'm a cop too. <laughs> I've watched so many episodes of Beretta. I have this, you guys. I have it. I don't know how that works, but that's what I read, and I wrote it. <laughs> That's how we do it. That's how I do things. So his quick reaction, along with the action of the rest of the police department, and a lot of people think ended what could have been a long career of a potential serial killer. Um, Within minutes of Mary Lou's abduction, then Chief Peter King, so Chief King, he's the chief and the king. Yeah. Yeah, I bet he got so much shit for that. (laughs) Um, he and his department preserve the crime scene on that fucking dirt road. They go there, they gather evidence that probably wouldn't have been around the next day because, you know, drivers and all of this stuff. So they, um, they got photos of the, the tire tracks. So next to where her bike was found, there were ty- a tire track that looked like it had accelerated away. So they get photos of the tire tracks, um, and they note that the tire tracks show abnormal wear pattern. And also, nearby, they find a Benson and Hedges cigarette butt. Those are the kind my mom used to smoke. (laughs) Benson and Hedges lights 100s. And we'd walk down to the store and buy them for her. (laughs) How much did they cost, you remember? Uh, No, we just, it was probably three bucks or something. It was whatever she put into our hand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Such a wonderful this, time. This, this is that time. This is that time. This is the exact time. It's also the same time that um, that Aegis's, that's our corner store, it was a mile away, and they also had a gas pump out in front, and that's usually where we got gas. And I remember one time my mom, was the guy came out to pump the gas, and my mom kind of like looked, and then she rolled up the window and lit a cigarette. <laughs> At the gas pump. Oh, no. And she's like, oh, here's how I'll solve the safety of the exterior issue of blowing us up. Jesus. He just, he just fucking hot boxed my mom's Benson and Hedges Lights 100. With children inside of it. Yep. Yes. Oh, the olden days. <laughs> Times were so much better then. No, they weren't. They were terrible Yeah, then. it wasn't good. Um... It was great for adults. They could do whatever the fuck they wanted. I mean, they partied like fucking crazy. They did. All right. So they also found the cigarette butt. They picked that fucking thing up. No, you know, they're like on it. Um, and they're also able to immediately get statements of, from several witnesses who had been driving in, in the area. And they reported seeing a green car with black racing, a black racing stripe driven by a man with dark curly hair and dark rim glasses. Uh, he drove, they saw him drive by multiple times. A few people did. And um, they also saw that car driving away. Someone was like, I saw something bulky in the passenger seat. So they think that that's the person who um, abducted Mary Lou. An extensive search is conducted for three days in the area um, where she was last seen, including hundreds of police dog searches. So they're fucking searching the wooded areas. On September 10th, police circulate a wanted poster containing the sketch of the driver um, and a description of the bright green car. I couldn't find the sketch anywhere, which fucking sucks, because um, I just want to see that. <laughs> and I wanted Steven to have nightmares <laughs> for days. Uh, what if we just start telling Steven to look up, like, surgery photos and shit? <laughs> Steven, can you get me a picture of a brain being dissected? Oh. It's personal. <laughs> I need it for the show. You know, I don't actually need it. Uh, just um, airdrop it to me. <laughs> so then on September 13th, police uh, get information about a dude, and along with that dude, a photo, and they're like, oh, shit, this guy looks just like the composite sketch. His name is James Cater. He is a 32-year-old dude. He's a donut maker from Brockton, Massachusetts. <laughs> I know, you don't want to cheer now because I just ruined it for you. But, I'm but also, donuts. <laughs> so this fucking absolute piece of shit he had once attacked a 63 year old woman while she was at a cemetery at her fucking dead husband's grave morning it come at her with a chair leg but she had escaped what the fuck just the leg or a whole chair and he only beat her with the leg don't I don't know okay Sorry. I pictured breaking up, but that would make more sense. <laughs> I, heard, I pictured him being like, eh, and then, but... How far did he move with the chair? That's yeah. all I want to know. Yeah. Not important. Then, this is important, a decade before Mary Lou's abduction, in 1968, Cater uh, had, ple had pled guilty to assault with intent to rape, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, and kidnapping when he had abducted a 13-year-old Andover girl who he had run off the road while she was on her bicycle. Fuck. After, and then he forced her into his car, drove her about 30 minutes out of town into a wooded area. He, uh, he, she had fought him off and run, but he caught up with her, and then he had tied her to a tree where he had strangled her until she lost consciousness, but when she woke up, he was gone and she got free. 
and escaped. Shit. He, uh, yeah. yeah, he had served a prison sentence for this. He had pled guilty. He was like, I fucking totally did that. He, uh, he served a prison sentence, but was, of course, re- I don't know how long he served. Wait, I could probably put math in my brain. Do it. Just some, we'll give you 30 seconds for quick math. <laughs> I need six years. Um, he served a prison sentence, but was released four years ahead of, ahead of schedule. So you got it. You know, here's the thing: when prisons are full, get those the people who attack children out first. Yeah. That's important. There's so many people who had a minuscule amount of pot on them that yeah. just need please to keep stay them in. Anyone bars. of color, please. But yeah, yeah. what oh, a white dude. Yeah, no. the white dudes that fucking try to rape children. Right. Uh, being fucking that, sarcastic. None of that should have been sarcastic. Sorry. Um. But 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 but. Okay. So he had, so he was released ahead of schedule. It's terrible. Um, and in 1976, he had started hanging around the Bridgewater area because he was going to therapy. Where the hospital is? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the director of the Bridgewater Hospital, everybody. <laughs> great job. We love your facility. I hear great, really creepy stories coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> Which I guess is near this place. Um, so two years fucking later, Mary Lou disappears while riding her bike home. Yeah. Guess that motherfucking therapy didn't work. <sighs> the day after Mary Lou disappeared, this fucking dude, uh, James Cater, had gotten married uh, to an 18-year-old. So he was, I know, he was 32. He married an 18-year-old. And I had to check if either she was an, um, an Avon lady or from Avon, a place called Avon, Massachusetts. <laughs> you guys have a place called Avon, Massachusetts here. Did you know that? I didn't. Is that where they invented all the wonderful products? <laughs> no. Uh, I was like, there's no, I was like, I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to be like, from Avon. It was like, that's not a place. <laughs> it's a place. It's a place. Yeah. Also, just the idea of an 18-year-old Avon lady, where she's like, I don't give a shit. I'm doing it. Uh, so, the day after Mary Lou appeared, and they had gotten ma- they got married, then they left the country on a honeymoon. A week later, when he returned on September 19th, um, I guess someone was like, the police totally think it's you. You should go talk to them. Because he went into the police station with his new 18-year-old a- Avon wife... And his lawyer, and when he walked into the police station, he looked so similar to the composite sketch that one of the officers, uh, Chief Lou Pacheco, said, "You're not going to believe this, but our composite, our composite just walked into the station." Oh shit! He was just like, "Um, hey, everybody, <laughs> the guy's here. The guy's here." Uh, he gave so Cater gave police permission for police to search his car. Guess what kind of car he had? A bright green 1976 Opal with a black racing stripe. Actually, we have a photo of the car, I think, somewhere. We can take a look at it. That's Mary Lou. Um, I know. That's the car. It even says Opal on the side of it. Wow. I mean, I hate his guts. That's a sweet car. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the car's fault. No. So, But bright green... With black mm-hmm. is a little too Frankenstein for me. Oh. I would maybe a nice rust orange. Okay, 
I mean, we'll talk about it later. Sorry, we'll talk about it later. It's none of your business. <laughs> thank you. That's awesome. Um, thank you, Stephen, too, as well. Uh, the right front tire had excessive wear, just like in the photos of the car, the tire at the scene. Inside the car, they found wedding gifts, but also two cartons of cigarettes. Hey, guess what kind? Benson and Hedges. That's fucking right. Uh, and two pairs of dark rim glasses in the glove compartment. <laughs> he went there with everything that they knew about him. Uh-huh. But he, yeah. Jesus Christ. In the trunk, uh, they also found uh, the Boston, uh, copies of the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald uh, newspapers, both open to articles about the disappearance of Mary Lou Arruda. <laughs> Just confess. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he was basically confessing with things as opposed to words. I mean, this dude, and you'll see, he's truly the biggest piece of shit in the fucking world. Also, his alibi for the day was total bullshit, of course. Um, But he denies any involvement. And he, uh, but, okay, you can turn that off. Thank you. Um, Oh, want to see a picture of him? Yes. He sucks. We have a photo of him. Ew. I kind of was, in my mind, was picturing more of a Jim Croce type. Which I know is a deep cut. But that looks like... I don't know what that... Who that is. Jeez. Operator. It's a 70s thing. You wouldn't understand. (laughs) But that looks like Paul Sorvino in a bad wig. Still don't know. Really? Yeah. Come on. I don't know. Mira Sorvino's dad? Yes. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He was actually one of the original detectives on the first Law and Order, like the first couple oh, seasons of Law and Order. All right. Way back when. Deep cut. Right. Karen's new podcast. Thank you. Where I just list names of people no one knows. <laughs> and I call, we'll call it the loneliest girl in the world. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you. You can take that down because he sucks. Okay. <laughs> All right, so sadly then... Wait, sorry, that fucking guy had an 18-year-old wife? Yep. I hate hate things. I do too. This is the podcast that's basically called, like, why the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? You know? Uh, Very sadly, nine weeks after her abduction on November 11th, 1978, Mary Lou's body was discovered in the Freetown, Freetown Fall River State Forest... Freeton Fall. Her body was discovered by a couple of boys who were out fucking dirt bike racing. No. I know, and they probably never went dirt bike racing again. She was fully clothed and had been tied to a tree while standing up. That's right, exactly the way he. His other victim mm-hmm. was, yeah. Um, and the cause of death was ruled by the medical examiner's strangulation by ligature um, or. Uh, positional asphyxiation, meaning that he had tied her to a tree, including her neck, and when she had passed out, she had choked to death because of the weight. It's fucking awful. Um, so, let's see, and it was determined that she had died the same day she went missing. At the trial, so this fucker's arrested and taken to trial. At the trial, James Cater testifies on his own behalf. He acknowledges his guilt in the incident of 1968 that is fucking identical to this one. But he stated he was rebuilding his life since the release from prison in January 1976. Uh, he, he, so it wasn't him. 
And FBI expert William uh, Bodziak, who would later testify about the shoe print at O.J. Simpson's trial, oh, whoa. Fucking te- was an expert witness about the tire track found on Dean Street in Raynham in this trial. Um, there's like all these expert witnesses and all the like all these fucking people come in and it's just insane. Um, uh, in okay, in June of 1979, James Cater is convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But wait, don't <laughs> applaud. Okay, Supreme Court Judicial Court overturns that conviction in 1979. And the following one, they also fucking overturned in 1985, his other first degree uh, um, conviction, because testimony, so they fucking, they'd gotten all this uh, eyewitness testimony saying that they had seen this car, and tell, remember they were like telling them what they saw, then they hypnotized all those people, because that's what they did in ni- the fucking 70s and 80s for witnesses. Remember all that hypnotizing? Yeah, it was great. Um, and so they were saying that the hypnotized witnesses that were used to identify the make and license plate of his car uh, shouldn't have been used in um, in his conviction. And so then that third trial comes in 1992. That one fucking ends in mistrial again. He is retried in 96 where his... Fucking attorney Joseph um, Krosky said that Mary Lou had actually been the victim of cult activity. It wasn't him. Because mm. there was all kinds of, it was satanic panic times and there was all maybe some weird cult activity. You guys fucking know. <laughs> uh, not that you guys are Satanists. I didn't mean it like that. You might be. I mean, Never maybe know. you are. Maybe you are. I'm not judging you. I'm kind of judging you. Um, he promised the jurors that he, they would hear from a witness who saw more than 20 people carrying torches into the dark woods around the time that Mary Lou had been killed. He promised. I don't think he did it. Oh. Um, so four fucking times this guy goes to like multi-week trials and the, his, the, her, Mary Lou's family, the whole fucking community, the police officers who are all, uh, from what you read, like horribly touched by this fucking case and want to, you know, get this asshole put where he's fucking belongs. More than half a dozen motions, uh, for appeals, including that, all, and they all included, you know, putting the family through the crime scene photos, traumatizing testimony by all the witnesses, all these bullshit theories. It would become the country's longest running court case. Whoa. He's finally fucking convicted on December 22nd, 1996, at his fourth trial and sentenced to life. Yes. They can cheer now, right? Yes. Okay, good. That's upheld uh, in 2000 and 2007 when he tries again to fucking get retrials and and the Supreme Court of Massachusetts are like, fuck you, dick. Are you fucking serious? No. If only that's what they said. (laughs) I'm saying it for them because you know that's what they all wanted to fucking say. Um, That Okay, the fucker... Uh, James Cater finally dies from cancer in January 23rd, 2016. Whoa. So it's recent. Very recent. Um, but there are some, uh, what happens in the town of uh, Raynham, there is some like, at least, everyone's trying so hard to uphold the memory of Mary Lou and uh, they never forget her. They refuse to let her memory be forgotten or let people say like, that doesn't happen in our town. They won't fucking let people do that. So um, the annual meeting held by the police every year to review policies regarding missing persons, there's this uh, meeting and right now the uh, chief Jim Donovan, who's the chief now, he was 10 years old at the time of Mary Lou's disappearance 
he begins his presentation every year uh, by re recounting her uh, case and saying, quote, her memory drives our vigorous pursuit of missing persons. Um, her youngest, Mary Lou's youngest sibling, who turned five the day that her sister's body was found, <sighs> I know, was influenced by the investigators who never gave up every single fucking time there was any kind of motion or any trial. The investigators never gave up. They always were there in full force. She remembers that, and uh, she becomes a special operations sergeant with the Massachusetts Department of Corrections. Yes, yeah, she does. Yes, yeah, she does. Amazing. Yeah. Um, another sibling, Joseph, he served as the driving force behind the creation of a soccer field in Mary Lou's memory on King Philip Street in her honor. So people would never say that this sort of thing can't happen in this town. She wants people to remember her. Um, and there's a, she's on a plaque in the police station. She, the, there's a fingerprinting program for children that's named after her. And she even has a street name, Mary Lou Court. And um, her mother, Joanne, when fucking, uh, when he died, when uh, Cater died, her mother said, quote, I do believe in a heaven and I do believe there is a hell and he's going to rot in it. <laughs> and that's the story of Mary Lou Arruda. Wow. God damn it. Thanks. It's so, I mean, that's so, that's such a beautiful thing that a, like a small town can kind of kick ass that way and like the police force can kick ass that way yeah. and then kind of like almost set that standard it's, right that's it's really nice because cool. we hear so many of these stories of like they didn't do anything for three weeks and we have to be like why don't you do it? it's like so frustrating every time even though that was the standard and it was the way things were done and it was the rules then so you can't get mad at that but when it's done in a way that it should be and helps convict this dude who had a pattern, an exact yes. pattern of the way he did things. There's no fucking way he would have stopped doing it. No, not at all. So, I mean, potentially they fucking stopped a serial killer. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Incredible. Yeah. So, Good job, yeah. Random. Yeah. Nice. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like, perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Well, I'm going to do the Great Boston Fire of 1872. <laughs> just for just for fun. I'm super into disaster here in Boston um, in the uh, metro area. 
Um, Shit. I know. <laughs> so there is a, um, there is a guy named Bruce Twickler who's basically the expert on the great Boston fire. Um, and he's written a bunch of stuff. He also is making a movie about it. And so I watched this talk that he gave and a, a lot of people who are from this area have no idea that Boston had a fire that was on par with the great Chicago fire. I'm not from here and I don't even know it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. This fire, um, is in the top five hugest fires of in United States history. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, guys. Congratulations, everybody. Um, Pyros. Yeah. It's really funny, though, because as he was talking in the beginning of this um, talk that he gave, he also started, is talking, and it's something that you never think about, but in the 1800s, just all of America was constantly catching on fire. That's all it did. And at one point... Um, everything during, was made of matches. Everything was... Why would they build buildings out of matches? They didn't know, you guys. It was crazy. It was built of matches and fire. Yeah. Everything. Um, and then fireworks on the day that it was finished being built. <laughs> why? Um, this made me laugh out loud. In the gold rush time, uh -huh. which was 1849, 1850, um, in San Francisco, like in 1851, San Francisco caught on fire and almost burned entirely down. It was the hugest fire. That was May 3rd, 1851, I believe. And May 3rd, 1852, all of the buildings they rebuilt burned down again. God, what a yeah. bummer, man. I know. Except like for the insurance people are like, Okay, all right. Um, so yeah, this was a, it was just a huge issue, um, all over the country and especially in Boston because Boston, as you all know, is super old. And as it grew, um, the streets are insanely narrow. Like being from California, it being in like in downtown Boston mm -hmm. or like in the, you know, city center of Boston, it makes me want to have a heart attack. It's like, <laughs> this is, Insanity. Yeah. Get away from me. Yeah. Um, very narrow. Um, I, adorable, but old and narrow. <laughs> um, and at the time, of course, because uh, everything was being built up and whatever, they would just build, um, and there were no, there was no coding. There was, there was kind of like no rules, and it was like, oh, if things go well and everyone gets rich, put up another building, put them right next to each other, and then make the street four feet wide, and then put another building right over here. It's, and the other thing was they had, um, oh, I'll get into it. I'll, I'll explain it to you. So here's the thing. So the first issue is if you've watched movies that take place in that time, like, what's that fucking Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Thank you. The Gangs of New York. Uh -huh. That's not what they said. Um, in the Gangs of New York, you see this. The fire departments used to be mostly volunteer, and they were. it was basically just like uh, clubs of people who decided we're going to be in charge of putting out fires, and there would be a bunch of different ones, and they would all run to the fire with their water, and they would get there, and then they'd all start fist fighting no. about who was going... Because there was a thing the insurance companies uh. did. They called it first water. So if you were the comp if you were the fire brigade that got the first water on the fire, they would give you um a couple dollars, which was in today's money, $17,000, <laughs> and what they called a hog's shed of beer, which is 63 gallons of beer. Shit. So yes. So if you have should have just put the beer on the fire. 
No fucking way. <laughs> and just immediately start a fight. So essentially, a, a fire would break out, the alarm would go off, all these dudes would come running over with their water, and then start fist fighting, and then the building would burn down while they were all fist fighting. This was very, very common. I'm not in insurance, but that sounds like a bad idea, like it's a not, bad way to do It's not a things. good plan. Mm-mm. It's not a good plan. But this is just how it was for a while. So anything that's going to fall? Yeah. I need it, though. I know. Okay. Because, of course... We're using the smallest table. This is actually, Stuart Little donated this table to us. It was so nice. So nice of him. So, a man named Josiah Quincy used to be the mayor. Sure, you can, you can cheer for your old neighbor. I mean, na- mayor. He was the mayor. neighbor, too. He was also your neighbor, because the buildings are so close together. Everyone was your neighbor. It works. Oh, I live around the corner from him. Um, Josiah Quincy, the mayor of Boston, tried to reorganize the fire department in 1826. (laughs) And they got so mad at him because it was such a political, it was basically kind of mafia shit. And he was like, this needs to stop being dudes fighting in the street. Uh um, And we should probably get a little bit more organized. Um, and the other part of that too was they had these things, bucket brigades, where you had to, if you're something in your neighborhood was on fire, you had to go stand in the bucket brigade and they would just pass water. Uh That's how they got the water to the fire. Uh And if you didn't stand in the line, you had to, like, you'd be fined a dollar. So it, like, the whole system was not good Uh -uh. in terms of putting water on fire. They just kept (laughs) fucking it up. Josiah Quincy's tried to fix it. Um... But uh, he made so many enemies reorganizing the fire department that he lost his next election because they were like, fuck you, dude. This is our, this is our little club. Um, but they ended up using, you know, no longer using bucket brigades. They started using these steam engines um, to, to pump the water onto the buildings. Um, and uh, so, okay, so, but this story is mostly about a man named John Damrell. So he um, is a Boston native um, he was an orphan as a child. He spent his teens being an apprentice to a master carpenter. So he knew a lot about building. Uh-huh. He also learned a lot about business. Um, and in 1857, he is elected to the Boston City Council. Um, he makes a lot of connections politically. And in 1858, he, become, he becomes a professional fire engineer. Um, and, right? And at uh, 28... Um, he, he like rises very quickly. He's very smart. He knows business. He's well connected. And he's all about, he's really into safety and he understands the way that buildings are built in Boston, that it's basically just like one big fire trap. And he is like dedicates his career to trying to fix that because oh. he knows, he knows about the other horrible fires around the country and he wants to make sure that doesn't happen to Boston. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, in 18, oh, when he's 28, he becomes a captain in the fire department. Um, and uh, so they had just, that was about eight years after they changed over to steam engines. Things were a little less wild, um, was a little more organized and kind of the city was in charge a little bit more. Then in 1866, he is promoted to chief engineer of the part, part, fire department. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> in the fire department. <laughs> They're the competitor for the fire department? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they, were the, they fought so hard, um, they, but they brought potatoes to all the fires. It didn't make sense. So, 
Um, Damrell successfully lobbies to win the right to make building inspections to start enforcing fire codes. So, because everything inside every building was made of wood, of course, and then, you know, they did, they would do things like just have one exit. There, there was lots of buildings that were built that just had a central, a single central staircase, and that was the only way you could get out of the building. So if the fire was on the first floor, goodbye. That was like, <laughs> that's it. It's so um, funny the shit we think of as like fucking commonplace. Like I want to, I want to inspect your building, and they're like, yeah. no, no way, myob. There, were, it was a very myob time back then. And um, what is that? You mind said your that, own. Thank you. <laughs> mind you your own it, biz. You said it last night, and everyone laughed, and I was like, I'm not going to ask what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can always ask. <laughs> um, sorry, I just have to, sh I have to shorten things because we're really pressed for time. I don't, <laughs> Um, okay, so one of the other campaigns that Damrell um, really was invested in was getting uh, more water available um, and more fire hydrants put in around the city and also replacing the old leaky water mains. Uh -huh. So there were like the original pipes that they had laid down like that the pilgrims had fucking put in the ground. <laughs> they were still there, super leaky. The water pressure sucked shit. And he was like, so here's the thing. As we build all these tall boxes of tinder yeah, yeah. Um, directly on top of each other, um, we need to be able to pump water if something catches on fire. And obviously it would make sense that the water board would be like, oh, what a great point. They're like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, there was a guy named Nathaniel Bradley that's, that was on the water board that he, and he told Damrell that the water supply was fine and it's not worth the money to rip up the streets and replace the old pipes. And spoiler alert, he was wrong. <laughs> um, and also a lot of these building owners were insured to the gills, so they oh. didn't give a shit. They were just like, it's kind of fine if it burns down. I'm good either way. So they didn't want to spend the money to fireproof them and the, and nobody wanted to spend the money to replace any of these water mains. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, on Sunday, October 8th, 1871, oh, oh, that's the day of the Great Chicago Fire. Okay. Um, it lasts, I wondered what the fuck I was doing. I was like, why, why am I talking about that now? <laughs> <laughs> Third show. Um, the Great Chicago, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where am I? Um, the Great Chicago Fire lasted for two days. It uh, 10,000 buildings were burned Holy down. Holy shit. It killed 300 people. It destroyed over three square miles of the city. It, less, it left 100,000 people homeless. Mm. And they say there was more urban damage in that city than there was in the, in the entire Civil War. Oh my God. It was, the, it was that bad. And actually, when I lived in Chicago, we went and saw a play called The Great Chicago Fire. So actually, I know tons about it. We don't have time <laughs> to talk about it now, but there's one amazing part where most of the citizens, the fire got so strong and so hot that everyone was pushed into um, Lake Michigan. They just had to go stand there and stand what? in the water to like, to cool off and to get away from the flames. Holy it's super shit. insane. So when that happens, um, Chief Damerel takes a trip to Chicago to find out what went wrong, what the problems were, and like what, like just so he could learn and make, take that back to Boston and make sure it didn't happen here. I feel like everyone should be listening to this guy. <laughs> no. 
the guy who's like trying to get people not killed in the fire. But you know, it was something like yeah. he, like his beard wasn't long enough or some shit yeah, like yeah. that. We're just like, no, oh, Daryl over there yeah. with his He's hardly obsessed. any facial hair. What do you marry a fire if you love it so much? <laughs> oh, are you scared of a little yeah. fire? I'll punch you out. <laughs> Um, so what he learns from, um, the, the fire chief in Chicago, and there was a, there was also a, a civil war general that had actually been brought in to, um, help, uh, during the fire, like to help control it and then keep civil order afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they told him all about what went wrong and they said, of course, everything was insanely dry. The entire city, of course, was made of wood. Um, there were really stiff winds. The uh, fire alarm was delayed, and um, the firemen were misdirected as to where they should go in the beginning, um, so the communication was really bad, and most of the roofs of the buildings there were mansard, mansard roofs. And so mansard roofs, you've seen them, um, they are the ones that basically, it looks like the top of the roof has like a cuff on it of wood. Uh, uh So even if the front of the building is masonry or brick, Uh the top of the building just has the driest fucking shingles of all time. (laughs) And it's like eight feet of it. Uh And um, so most of the buildings at the time, that was like the style, Uh had that type of roof. And so when a building catches on fire, when that the top goes up like that, and then all the top Uh of the buildings are wood, each the building, each one catches the next one on fire. Uh Um, And so that's what happened there. Um, They also did a thing, they tried to do a thing to stop the Chicago fire, which was, they thought, you know, sometimes when a wildfire happens, the firemen go out and they start a fire and backburn Uh so that when the wildfire hits, there's nothing to burn and it just goes out. Uh Well, they thought they were going to do that in Chicago by blowing up buildings. So they went into (laughs) fire... (laughs) and just started blowing shit up to be like, okay, then this can't catch on fire. Well, of course, then it's rubble and then all the wood's exposed and it was like tinder. It just created, it was like set, it was like pre-setting your campfire logs up and, you know, a little triangle. And it, it was, it of course did not work at all. It made it worse. Um, and there was, they used gunpowder. Hey. So there's, <laughs> there's a stiff wind and a firestorm. And then, you know what we're going to do? Blow gunpowder into the air, guys. Five, six, seven, eight. So. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. So, um, Darryl comes back to Boston. He makes a report about everything that he learned about the Chicago fire. He puts pressure um, to get a new firehouse built in the new downtown area. That was mm-hmm. that was the one that was just um, being built and getting popular, and to make more water available down there. And he also tried to get a building code instated to stop those mansard roofs from being used on new buildings. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we just don't need it. It's not. It doesn't even look that good. Um, <laughs> also, let's not blow up buildings yeah. in the case of a fire in the future. And he is told, look. I wrote it right there. To mind his own business. <laughs> and to stop exaggerating the needs of his department. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he, you're being hysterical. Um, so, uh, j- so in October of 1872, there was, <laughs> this is, this is also one of those things where it's like the, the, um, the combination of just all these horrible, uh, things that happened. There's a horse flu that comes down through, um, New England from Canada and all these fucking horses get super sick. Um, 
and it debilitates the entire fire department's horses. They're oh. specially trained and extremely strong horses that can pull those insanely heavy um, steam engines that they that they pull from fire to fire. Well, all those horses are like, oh, can you get me some orange juice? <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. So... Damerel, when that starts, he's like, oh, fuck, no, okay, we have to fire, I mean, hire 500 extra men, Mm -hmm. because we got to go back to the days of pulling our own steam engines around, because we don't have any, because all the horses are up in bed. They got better. They got better, by the way. At first, I thought they all died, and I'm like, now I have to fucking tell everybody all the horses died. (laughs) That's not going to go over well, but Mm -hmm. they didn't. Oh, good. They got better after, when no one needed them. Okay, so... (laughs) On November 9th, 1872, at 7 p.m., um, we're on the corner of Kingston and Summer Street, and um, it is a building, it's a, it's a commercial storehouse, so um, there's a book called The Story of the Great Boston Fire by a man named Charles Coffin, and it was written, he was actually a witness, um, he was there that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he describes the contents of the building. He says there's bales of hay and boxes of dry goods in the basement and on the first floor. No. Yeah. The second and third floor are stores of paper and muslin. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Was it like first year anniversary gifts? <laughs> That's what the store was that called? That's the name of the store. <laughs> paper and matches and such. <laughs> um... On the third and fourth, uh, or sorry, on the fourth and fifth, are rooms full of hosiery, gloves, tape, muslin, thread, and trimmings, shreds of materials for making skirts and corsets. Mm. So he, the quote is, Tinder above, Tinder below. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what everyone's going to do tonight after the show. <laughs> um, am I right? Am I right? You sexy motherfuckers. Okay. <laughs> So it truly is a, just like a fire waiting to happen. There's a spark in the basement at 7 p.m. The fire starts down there. It all goes in bales of hay. Just the driest <laughs> shit you can find. Yeah. Um, so the fire starts down there. No one notices because it's 7 o'clock at night and uh, it's the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going and it's raging out of control and the elevator shaft is made of wood. So what they also don't know is as that fire starts going, it also goes up straight up the center of the building simultaneously. It's like, (laughs) we can do it. Um, So the only time anyone notices that this fire is in the basement of this building is when all of the windows of the basement blow out. Surprise! Hi, happy birthday! (laughs) And that's when people are like, what's this we see here and smell? And so people start running up and down the street yelling fire. Now, at the time, they did have fire boxes um, on the street. There's a lot of people who don't know about this, and because my dad is was a San Francisco fireman for about 40 years, yeah, that's right, he's an American hero. Um, 
he, I've known about this since I was a kid, but you don't really notice them until you start looking for them. They're little, they're like freestanding oh. little boxes on the street. They kind of blend in with like a lamppost or whatever, but they just say fire on them and you can walk up and open them and pull it and a fire truck will come to that box. They should tell us about those, I feel like. I feel like they don't want people pulling a box, but. Well, what if there's a fire? Yeah. And I don't know those exist. <laughs> And I can't get my phone to call. I can't get my phone to recognize my face to turn on and so I can call <laughs> an ambulance. It's me. It's me. It's just because I have a face mask on. <laughs> you can't tell. You just refuse to take your Batman mask off? <laughs> They'll know. It's me. But every Batman. story, like my dad would tell me, you know, or I would tell him stories like, oh, my friends got stuck and, and they were in this weird neighborhood and they didn't know. He goes, pull a box. <laughs> that was my dad's solution to everything. Go, just pull a box. There'll be a fire truck there in two minutes. Uh, well, now I know, and now we're all going to pull one tonight. Yeah, pull a box if you need to. While we're waiting for our and Tinder tell date. Them, tell them Jim Kilgariff told you to do it. <laughs> and then I'll give you his phone number later. Yeah. And he will love it. Pull a box. Pull a box, Jim. Um, but he used to also say that, too, and like he'd, he would hear stories of people getting you know lost in bad neighborhoods or whatever. Jim, you got to pull a box. Uh, I'm doing it. <laughs> do it. Um, but then you do have to deal with the firemen who show up and you're just standing there with a smile well, on Well, I'm going to run. Uh, that's the trick. That's the one part you didn't think of. <laughs> this is not for pranks. Oh. Okay. Also, of course, please clean your lint traps if you don't know already. <laughs> it's... And we're coming up into the holiday season. Water that motherfucking Christmas tree. Oh. And do not leave the lights on at night. No one needs to look at that shit. They're sleeping. People who leave their lights on all night. They're Christmas it. lights or they're lights lights? No, no, no. They're Christmas. Oh. The lights on the Christmas tree that light the Christmas tree on fire that then light the curtains on fire and then your house is on fire. A solution? Be Jewish. Be Jewish. <laughs> Please be Jewish. Won't you please be Jewish this Christmas season? <laughs> Think of others. <laughs> Selfish Christian assholes. No, we let the menorah burn out. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys like to put actual flame right in your front window. Real fucking flame. Yeah. You don't even use them lights. <laughs> okay. Okay, so it's 7 o'clock when this fire starts in the basement. Okay, great. Uh, uh, the, oh, that's what I was talking about. So back then, only cops could pull a box. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's my favorite phrase now. Um, there was a they had to have a little key. So oh. the beat cop that had the key to that firebox had already passed and was out of the like out of earshot, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. So everybody's running up and down the street screaming fire, but that doesn't matter until somebody actually pulls the alarm. So um, it takes... 45 minutes for the fire departments to actually get there. That's too long. Because once they get the alarm, it's way too long. Once they get the alarm, they have to start pulling their steam engines themselves. That's Remember all the, about the horses. The horses are in bed with th thermometers in their mouths. <laughs> with the thing on their little heads. Yeah. Their little horse heads. Just watching soap operas. <laughs> um, so it was, um, but they, but, of course, Damrell had in, had hired all those extra dudes, right. so that at least they had people. Also, um, Coffin, the man who wrote that book, said, um, also little boys would run in and help the men pull the steam engine. Get out of here, yeah. Timmy. You're not helping. Sure. No, all the eight-year-olds can come in and try to do something <laughs> well, incredibly unsafe. Well, the eight-year-olds probably had jobs then, Yeah, they really. They threw down their cigars and <laughs> ran over to help. Thank you. 
That's so good of you. <laughs> okay. But then they get there. They've got their steam engines. They're all set up. And of course, the fucking water pressure's for shit because they didn't replace any of the pipes. So it's like they, the water pressure basically was set up for when they were like two-story buildings. But this is a six-story building. So it's just kind of like pissing out and not really working out so great. And then the winds kick up. Ooh. Yes. Um, so they, so what really ha what happened with this first building is the basement, um, the windows blew out, the fire was going up the center, and then um, the people on the street, the witnesses said that when the fire came up out of the basement, it shot straight up six stories <gasps> and caught that mansard roof on fire. Uh. So the entire building was entirely engulfed by the time the fire department got there and then with, and then started catching the other buildings on the roofs on fire. Uh -huh. Um, and then they can't get the water up to the top. So, um, and it's, and it, the majority of this fire is going north. They're, they're able to get enough. Um, Damrell gets on the scene. He starts sending, um, different fire companies in different directions. So he's like, you go five streets that way and you start putting out the fires that way. And he was trying to basically like control the, um, this, this size, obviously. See, if fire. I were him, I would have been like, directing people by going, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. And I told you so. And I you told you. Fucking listen to me. I told your alderman. With your eight year old fucking workers. Nobody fucking listens to me. Your goddamn sick horses. Get away from me, Jackie. <laughs> but no, he's a noble man and he starts, he's kicking into business. Um, and he also, th this was crucial, he immediately sent word, um, to every city within 50 miles of Boston asking for them to drag their steam engines <laughs> because there's no horses, truly. Um, uh, and all these cities respond. They say 27 different towns in the area responded and brought, I know, right? Everyone's like, get in there. Also, uh, from some from as far as Connecticut and New Hampshire. Um, yeah, great job, you guys. Great job, your ancestors. <laughs> High five your grandma when you get home. Um, so, a real problem they started having is that crowds, of course, begin to accumulate around the mass fire no. that's broken out. Because there's people that are running out of houses holding, like, one statue of the Virgin Mary and a washboard. That's literally... uh, -uh. That's literally in that book by Charles Coffin. Hey. Those were her, those were her prized possessions. <laughs> Shit, what a life. I mean, not, not the most fun life. Unless she loved laundry. Sure. We don't know. She loved the Lord. Um, but there's looters, of course. So there's oh. people trying to run out with like the three things they could grab. Then there's people trying to grab shit they didn't grab. Uh -huh. um, and then there's people who are just standing around like we, they had nothing else to do on a Saturday. <laughs> and so there's just all these human bodies. It's just like a mass of human bodies. Um, within four hours, this fire has traveled a mile straight into the heart of Boston's Whoa. business district. Um, and they say that sailors on the coast of Maine could see it mm. from their ships. Oh. It was that huge. Um, then Damerel's called to City Hall. And, oh, we should probably put up, I, I bet there's at least one picture, right? Um, <laughs> that, that could kick us off. Okay, so here's, this is the scope of this fire. Wow. And this, it goes by how, um, by where it started. 
which is up there. No. No, down there. <laughs> yes, 7 p.m. Hold on. Shut up. You don't know. I know. <laughs> it starts here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it goes like that. Yeah. And that's when everyone's like, ooh, look at the fire. Yeah. And then it's like, and the winds go. And then it's like, oh my God, Connecticut, you go this way. New Hampshire, save our docks or whatever the fuck. <laughs> but then... Damerel gets called to City Hall because um, the mayor wants him to try the thing that he knows is going to work great. What? Gunpowder. Blow up some uh. buildings. And he's like, ixnay. It doesn't work. And of course, they don't listen to him. And so they start trying to blow up buildings. And that's why the fire... They were doing it um, up on the north side, thinking they were going to contain it at the top, mm. and that's why the fire then spread out like that, is because they were, they were blowing up buildings, and it got so bad they stopped, because <laughs> they were like, oh, I guess you're right about the gunpowder thing. <laughs> They're now, like, now, we now, made it work. Um, this is crazy. Sorry. John, I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. Mm. Um, so at 2.30 a.m., uh, they were blowing up the buildings. They stopped that. An hour later, several buildings blow up on their own cool. because no one turned the motherfucking gas oh. line off. Guys. Guys, we've got to get this organized. Um, at some point, somebody somewhere, and it's not John Darmel, I think it's like some genius citizen, what they start doing is they start, they find the biggest pieces of material they can find and soak them in water. Huge blankets, um, somebody gets, there's boat sails, and they start taking um, so, soaked pieces of material and laying them across these roofs so wow. that then when the um, sparks are going, those mansard roofs aren't catching on fire. And that's the way they ended up um, saving the Old South Church. The Old South Church is one of the only um, uh -uh. buildings that ended up standing in in the area that it's in. I don't know. It's downtown, <laughs> uptown. Is it downtown? Downtown. Oh, Southtown? Over in Northtown? Town. It's in town. It's in the town. And people love it. <laughs> it's such a great fucking church. Oh, it's in the south part. <laughs> south Church. Um... <laughs> And that is one of the turning points of the fire. Great. Is people being like, hey, how about, how about we put water on it? <laughs> how about we stop contributing to the fire and try to fight it? Like, first, first can I do my idea of taking all the old pine trees that we can find? No! Um, so the fire is finally brought... Oh, I think... Is there... Do you... Can you go to the next picture? Let me just see what Stephen pulled up for us. Oh, this is a before-after. What? Yes. Uh, that's some rubble. That says right Franklin, Franklin Street looking up before and then Franklin Street after. That that's how bad it was. No joke. And that's how... I bet that's probably the widest part of any street in Boston ever. <laughs> I've never seen one that wide. Crazy. And will you go to the next one? Oh, that's the panoramic. Wow. I mean, nutso. That's bananas. And then wait, there's one more that I really like. Oh. <laughs> they just sat on the rubble like, why didn't we listen to John Damrell? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I didn't. Shit. I really wanted to blow this building up, and now I regret it. <laughs> no buildings left. 
30 people were killed in the fire. 12 of them were firemen who died Holy in the line of duty. Shit. Yeah. Which actually, you have to think, it's actually kind of a small, that all, all told. Because Chicago had like 300. 300, right? yeah. So it's, uh, thankfully smaller, but still. Um, newspapers report losses up to $90 million in damage for back then, which is over a billion dollars in damage today. Shit. But I bet some people are like, yeah, I totally lost my house. Yep. Oh. I guess, yeah. I guess I better get a new house. <laughs> well, 90% of the buildings uh, that, that 90% of things that looked like this were entirely rebuilt in two years. Wow. Um, and so one of the things that uh, Bruce Twickler says in his, this speech that I was watching is he says, if you went on a cruise in September of 1872, which was like a couple months before the fire, a world cruise lasts two years. So when you got back in 1874, you would come back to an entirely different city. Holy shit. Which would be amazing. Like you'd come back and you'd be like, that, why is that department store over there? Like things <laughs> completely switched around. Um, and the city did use all of this rubble to uh, build Atlantic Avenue. So go down there and you're walk actually walking on the rubble of the old city. Ooh. So although um, John Damrell was initially hailed as a hero among the firemen that he worked with and the citizens that saw him. And there's these stories of like, he would tr he was like run running up when they called him to City Hall and he passes by a little boy who's like, my parents are caught in that building and he goes up into the building to try to find the parent. Like he's, he was incredibly heroic and incredibly brave uh -huh. and fought the fire himself and organized people in firing. Um, in <laughs> he just started firing people. <laughs> <laughs> take advantage of this moment you're fired <laughs> but he ends up losing his job no. as fire chief and they blame him for the fire what? the only person who gave a single shit about fire safety in the city in 1872 and they were like uh it's your fault because everything's political but he he didn't give a shit he goes into politics and he becomes the city's first building inspector in 1877 <laughs> And Boston became one of this, um, like the strictest uh, fire code cities in the country because of this system mm. that he set up. All the all the ways, um, like the fire codes that are set up in Boston, are because of John Damrell. And that is the story of the Great Boston Fire of 1872. Amazing. That is bananas. You. You're, that was great. I was riveted. If there had been more table, I would have been on the edge of it. <laughs> just time. hanging off the edge of it? This part, I would have just been <laughs> staring at you. But instead, I just kept doing weird things with my arms. It's hard to know where to put your body. Yeah. Let's stand up. I think we have time for a home Yeah, nap. let's do it. Let me pull some things from places. From here and pull here. Pull some spanks out and there down. There we go. There's a lot of signs tonight. Yeah, people have ideas. Oh, now wait. listen. Put you, your signs You need to listen. Down. Now you need to listen to me. <laughs> not yet. If you're yelling right now, you're not going to... I can see your mouth moving. You're not getting big. <laughs> I'm going to do my sister right now. Roommate. Roommate. <laughs> That's how she does it. I have to tell you the rules, and if you're yelling, you can't hear the rules. And there's been nights where people didn't hear the rules. Clearly didn't hear the rules. And bad things happen. Yeah. So there's definitely rules and regulations for this part mm -hmm. of the we're show. We're like the fire marshals of hometown. And the, <laughs> we're going to marshal the shit out of the hometown. That's right. This is really important, and we would just really... The, 
we need it to be a local story. Please, please don't think you're the fucking exception to the rule of any of these rules. Massachusetts. Massachusetts, Boston, ideally. We love an accent. I've asked fucking two nights in a row. She has asked. People think it's not important. It's very important to me. (laughs) Your story needs to be concise. You need to be able to tell it quickly and clearly. There should be a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's better for people when they're listening. When you get up here, it's very easy to kind of get overwhelmed and lose your place. So you can't be too drunk, although we're not. You can do what you want with your life. Um, (laughs) And, oh, just remember that everybody hates you if you get picked. So uh, you have to tell quickly. That's the key. It's your night. All right. Let's see. Can I get the lights a little bit? Can we have the lights up? Is that possible? I'm scared. I hate doing this so much. It's so awful. It's so... Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I hate this so... I don't know why I do it every time. It sucks. It hurts me in my soul. Oh, Vince is right over there. Walk over to him. Thank you. I swear to God, if she says she's from Florida, I'm going to punch her in the face. (laughs) Oh, turn the lights down. I swear to God. You can turn the lights off before she sees everyone. Hi. Oh, yeah. It's so scary. You guys don't even understand. Okay. Are you from Boston? Yes. I live here now. Come over to me and hug me. Hi. Hi. What's your name? My name's Libby. 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 She brought her purse. I brought my bag. I brought my bag. (laughs) Libby, where are you from? I am from Acton, Massachusetts. It's about 40 minutes outside. Okay. Concord, if you know the Battle of Lexington and Concord. Yeah, we love that bell. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Oh my God, it's such a good bell. Yes. And so this is fresh, actually. This is a new nugget. Um, My mom texted me Friday night and said, you'll never guess this. So-and-so stabbed his parents and girlfriend. (gasps) And I was like, I'm sorry, what? You can't just text me that casually. (laughs) That's a call. That's a phone call. 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 I call her. And so I guess this guy went with his... I went to high school with him. He's, He's 25 right now. He went to... Um, he sought mental health help with his um, <laughs> mom earlier that day. He tried to get help. They sent him away. He goes home. He thinks um, demons are in his head. He thinks demons are telling him to kill his girlfriend. So he strangles her. He's strangling her. The dad hears her um, screaming, and so he goes in. The guy grabs scissors, stabs the dad in the neck. His own dad or his own father? His, dad. his own father. Shit. Stabs him in the neck, and then the girl's trying to help him, so the girl stabs the guy stabs his girlfriend in the chest. The mom walks in. He's freaking out. Um, and they finally, um, people came to help. And then they were like, oh, do you know your rights? And he said, yes, I'm a murderer. And that was... Did you know him in high school? I had some classes with him. I never talked to him. I didn't think yeah. this would happen. That's banana. <laughs> you know... <laughs> I never saw it coming. No, I know. I we never, never do. Yeah, you know? never yeah. And so the dad is expected to not survive. And, uh-huh. and the yes. girlfriend and the mom are... The girlfriend, I think, um, is supposed to make it. She's in critical care. The uh-huh. mom is okay. Oh, oh my God. Libby. And, and he's in jail. He's um, being held right now for a psychiatric evaluation. Yeah. Holy yes. shit. Jesus. Well, but he tried to get help before. So that's yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. They let him go. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's so a sad. very good point. Very you need to fund... Mental health. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody's got to do it. There's so many fucking things wrong with this country right now that it doesn't get prioritized. But 
as, a, as my mom was a psychiatric nurse, she used yeah. to rant and rave when they were defunding all public health and she would t tell us like a lunatic prophet at the dinner table, in the future there's gonna be people walking up and down the street that need to be medicated, they can't take care of themselves, they're out on the street. It's not, it's not how we're supposed to be treating each other. Some people need help yeah. and we need to give money to programs to help people with mental illness. It's important. Sorry, I hijacked your story. Oh, thank you, Libby. <laughs> Libby, everybody, that was amazing. You did great. Uh, yeah, that Libby, was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's the fastest hometown we've ever had. I also detected a little accent. Did you? I, you the first thing I said is there's no, there was no accent. I heard a little accent. Yeah. But the, I'm from Southern California. You want to do one more? Okay. Okay. Hold on a second. You have to pick this time. Okay. Karen's gonna pick. Cause it's sad. Oh, <laughs> Hold on, everyone is, everyone is pointing. Everyone's pointing at you. Okay, come on. Come on. Do you guys even know her? I feel like sometimes everyone, like people will be pointing at someone from there over there and they just want to, the person it's, to get picked. It's fun to point. It's so fun to point. Holy shit, you guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what is it? Joya. Joya, everybody. Hi. Joya. 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 Hi. Hi. Where are you from? I'm from good old Cape Cod. All right. Hey guys. Why, do you know everyone here? <laughs> no, no, oh. I'm actually here by myself. Oh, um, that's fun. And um, this this story is about my mother, uh, who is very upset that I'm here by myself right now. Uh, <laughs> Does she hate us? She, she called me, and we were talking about um, her her attack. Oh, oh wow! And um, and I was like, Yeah, I'm, I'm on my way to Medford right now because I'm determined to get on stage and tell your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear it. So, all right. It's a little long, I'm gonna try and fly through it. Um, 1978, Milford, Massachusetts. Um, my mother is 18, she's sleeping, it's like quarter to three in the morning. Um, she wakes up from this like weird thumping noise and she wakes up, the only light in her room is uh, the, gl the green glow of her digital alarm clock. And she notices her mother's cat anxiously pacing up and down the keyboard in her room. And she's like, uh, okay, well, like, what the hell? The cat's name was Kitty, very clever. Um, <laughs> and the cat's like, the cat and her like, did not have a good relationship. It, it, like, they weren't, they weren't close at all. And she's like, okay, I don't understand. So she gets out of bed and she notices that her, um, her turntable was still going um, on a blank record. And so she turns it off, goes back to bed, like whatever. Not long after, it's still like, still like 3 a.m., she wakes up again. This time, there's a figure standing over her. Um, a ski mask on, all black. He was wearing, he was wearing fucking spandex. Um, <laughs> she, she was half asleep, so she, she was su super confused. And she thought it was her mom standing there with her curlers. Like, she, mm -hmm. her, her mom would wear um, her curlers to bed. So she goes, Mom? It's not. Um, uh, a young man um, is standing there and he immediately goes for her throat. Um, he's choking her, she's struggling, and, and she's like delirious because she's half asleep. 
doesn't realize that this is real life. And um, he's got her hands around her throat. He's choking her. She can't breathe. She just knows that she has to make a sound. So she starts, she starts screaming. She starts like muffled screaming. Um, he starts to beat her in the head with something. And he didn't have a weapon. It wasn't a gun or a knife. It was a flashlight. Mm. And he was beating her in the face with a flashlight. He like splits open her mouth. She's just bleeding. Oh, um, but she managed to get a sound out because much, her uh, bedroom was downstairs. Her parents, my grandma and grandpa, um, they're like diagonal. They're upstairs, mm -hmm. like diagonal from her. And uh, my grandmother woke up, immediately throws her hand to her husband and goes, Kill him! <laughs> <laughs> she knew! She knew! <laughs> and uh, my grandfather, Frank, he served in World War II. Bless his soul. Oh. He, he, he's ready. <laughs> he takes his leg, he swings it out and slams it onto the floor like, fucker, we know you're down there, I'm oh, coming. Shit. And uh, uh, the attacker is still on my mother. He like, Spidey mode, like leaps back, mm -hmm. and he's like abort mission. So he books it. He books it out the back um, where he came in, like the laundry room door or something. And my grandfather run. No, he doesn't run. He leaps down the stairs. He doesn't even touch a single step, <laughs> and he ends up in the doorway like this, <laughs> in his underwear. In his underwear. <laughs> um, Old timey high uh, yeah, up underwear. Like yeah, like tall, tall man, just like. <sighs> Uh, as my mother called it, gorilla mode. Yes. Um, and he's like, where, where the fuck is he? And my mom, surprisingly, she, she doesn't really know how she fought him off, how she ended up on the floor, but like face covered in blood, she's super calm. And she, she, just, she just points. And all she says is, some asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she says, all she says. And, and my grandmother's in there, she's, she's crying, she's so distraught. And um, so my grandfather books it after this guy. Um, my mom believes that he hid in the boat in their backyard. Mm. And so my grandfather runs out to the street, nearly attacks a jogger just innocently running at 3 a.m., you know, as one does, you know. Um, and he, so like, you know, man in his underwear menacingly chasing you. And the, the guy's like, hey man, hey man, like, yeah. what the fuck? And, and so he's like, oh, sorry, just trying to catch a murderer, I don't know. Um, and so he, he doesn't catch him, but uh, that same night, uh, this intruder, this is the bummer part of the story. He sneaks in to another home, uh, not far from their neighborhood, and he beats a little boy in the head <gasps> with his own baseball bat. Uh, the boy survived, uh, but with permanent brain damage. Um, and so that's like, that's the sad part. Um, afterwards, uh, my mother worked for the Milford Daily News mm -hmm. at the time. Um, she sees the report, and they uh, they released her name in the paper because she was 18. So they were like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll take your name. Yeah, uh, we'll put it in there." And um, it, it just said like, "Young woman attacked." So everybody assumed that she was raped, uh -huh. and she started getting harassing harassing phone calls. Like people people were calling her, um, just making a like mimicking this whole situation, making a whole like. Bongle about it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was super upset. Uh, she did not go to the trial because she was still suffering from PTSD. But 
this fucking dumbass, uh, he was caught because they found his ID at, just out on the street. Uh, he must have lost it when he was, when he was running away, and uh, they caught him. I'm not sure how long he was um, sentenced for, but uh, they, they got him. Uh, my mother and that little boy survived. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're good. Wow. wow. Joy, everybody. Joy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Thank you. I love the Brooklyn show, by the way. <laughs> Tell your mom we say hi. Yeah. Please. Shit. Wow. Oh my god! This um, this podcast is so crazy because it tells these insane. We have there's so many people who have stories like these. So many, and we get to hear them, and we get to like you know celebrate the people who survive and the people who have to survive when people don't. And we're so lucky to be able to just support these women and survivors. Yeah, and to so uh, also, I think there's a kind of a message that I feel like maybe people didn't understand before that you're all kind of telling each other, which is that this happens a lot mm -hmm. and you can't get through it. I think it's there's kind of an amazing... Um, you know, kind of a resilient lesson that comes through all this stuff, which is that I think when bad things happen to people, it makes people shut down or not talk about it. And the way it used to be is you don't talk about bad things. Mm -hmm. And really what people are learning is you absolutely must talk about th bad mm -hmm. things, process bad things, share bad things. It, because when you do that and you process it, you become stronger for it. You really do. And yeah. all the people that we've met that have told us these insane fucking stories are, you know, that's the story they're telling us. That's yeah. why I'm even able to say it is because that's the, that's the story we keep getting over and over. Yeah. So like the idea that Joya's mom's just like told her, clearly told her that story. Yeah. And it's like the family lore, you know, that's an amazing lesson. And I think it's great for people to hear. And there are people out there who have been, have been through it or are here to support you. And, uh, and want to be there for you as well. So it's, we're really lucky that we have all these incredible people to support. Well, and you guys are creating a community. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's like you're all, you're all kind of letting each other know you're out there. And, um, you know, this started as kind of like, oh, we like true crime. That's yeah. interesting. And, oh, I'm allowed to like true crime as kind of like the first wave. Now it's this thing of like, we can do whatever the fuck we want. Uh -huh. And, you know? There's a lot of strength in this community, yeah. and we're so excited to um, see you guys. It, I mean, selling out three shows in one theater is like yeah. an incredible... It's incredible. Yeah, and we appreciate what you guys do. We love being part of this community, and uh, fucking support women, you know? Let's <laughs> fucking do it. We're here for each other. We're a fucking force. Here's the thing, it's already happening. Yeah. It's already happening, and you guys know it's happening. You can feel it happening. There's something else happening. There's shitty things happening in this country right now. There's also incredibly powerful things yeah. happening in this country right now. That's what you have to remember. You have to remember you have each other, that we all have each other, and that we are all already connected, yeah. and that's amazing. And we're so, sharing each other's strength, and it's fucking amazing, and let's do it. When you tell your story to other women who support you and have been through it, it's fucking incredible, and we can do incredible things with that power. Yeah. And yeah. So do that. Do that. Do all those things we just listed, and also stay sexy. And don't! Thank you, Boston!